Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and today we're going to be talking about the sun's ingress into the first decan of Pisces. So we're going to break down Pisces as a, as a temple in general. We're going to talk a little bit about Jupiter today, uh, the host of Pisces. Um, we're going to talk about some of the aspects the sun is going to make, including a first quarter moon phase that's happening on February the 19th. We're going to talk about a number of fixed star conjunctions that are happening in succession, including uh, the sun hitting three degrees Pisces and Saldalmilic. Um, we're going to talk about Fomahalt, which is at four degrees of Pisces, and then Deneb uh, LDJ, which is uh, in the constellation Cygnus. I hope I'm saying that right. A DJ. A DJ. A DJ. A DJ. Wicka, wicka. Sorry. <laughs> Being silly. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about the sun making a sextile to Uranus. And we'll give you a little bit of a preview of the full moon that's happening on February the 27th as the sun is still in Pisces 1. Okay. So I hope that you're doing well out there. I want to let you know that I did a very nice interview with my friend, uh, Kat Nelligan. Um, and you can check that out on her podcast, The Creative Introvert. So I'll put a link to that in the video below. Also wanted to give you a heads up that I will be doing a talk on the fixed stars on Sunday, February the 21st at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, on uh, with Astrology Victoria. This is a group, an astrology group in Victoria, British Columbia that, that meets semi-regularly and has guest speakers. And I'm going to be talking about how to use the fixed stars uh, in astrology. It'll be very, uh, very much an introductory type of talk where, where we will break down all of the things that, that you need to do to kind of get started with the fixed stars and, and understand some of the mythology, the symbolism, how it may fit into the cosmic scheme of things. Um, I'm excited about that, so hopefully you'll be able to join me. Um, you can kind of RSVP with the link in this video below. All right, so that's some of the housekeeping things that we've gotten out of the way. Let's take a look at our chart and break down some Pisces stuff. All right, so here we see the ingress of the sun into Pisces on February the 18th, Thursday at 543 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can see that on the inner chart here. And we are looking at uh, the ending chart where the sun moves into Pisces 2 uh, on February the 28th. So roughly we've got about 10 days worth of Pisces 1. Um, and that, that makes sense because these are called decans, which roughly translates to, to 10. So we've got these 10 degree sections and the sun moves about one degree every day. So we have 10 days that we're looking at. So it's uh, divided up quite nicely. So sun in Pisces 1. Um, let's talk a little bit about its condition first. All right. So we are moving into a mutable water sign. So this is where, and I'm going to show just one chart here. This, this area of the zodiac is interesting. Mutable signs are kind of those transitionary places between seasons. So we're at the very end of winter in the northern hemisphere here, and we'll start to see uh, spring starting to peak through. So we're, we're getting this kind of changeable, mutable energy where we're going to see some of the the wintertime uh, experiences kind of blended and mixed together with some of the the, um, the springtime 
types of uh, experiences, you know, like we're seeing the seeds starting to grow. We're going to have a few warmer days, hopefully here and there, but probably still some snow and we're hoping that the, the flowers are going to start blooming. So everything's kind of merging together at this point. My experience of Pisces season around my area is everything just uh, turns into this soup of mud and water and it's like this primordial uh, ocean. And that's one of the things we'll talk about today is the ocean, because I think that's a really interesting um, way to explore Pisces. So the sun is going to be peregrine in Pisces. That means it doesn't have any of its own essential dignity. Um, it's kind of a wanderer. Uh, and that might bring us a little bit of confusion as, to far, as far as what our purpose is and what we are trying to accomplish across this period of time. Um, but that will, uh, this period of, of rest, I guess, this this last section of winter should um, hopefully give us some ideas about how we want to move forward when the springtime comes back during airy season. So this is kind of a preparatory phase where we're trying to find meaning in our life. Uh, its host is Jupiter. So you could see that Jupiter is um, in Aquarius right now. Uh, it is a, Jupiter is a planet um, that is called the Greater Benefic. So it is uh, associated with um, merits, honors, um, being able to bring good things into our life, but mostly based on our own actions, okay? So uh, Jupiter is part of the solar sect where we are using our awareness and using our ability to take action in the world from our higher self to create good things. Um, Zeus, another name for Jupiter, uh, was considered a demiurge. And a demiurge is kind of a creator or an architect. Uh, so Zeus in his nocturnal temple is a creator, but a creator from our, from our minds, from our imagination, from our spirit. So I, I had a really interesting, uh, some really interesting quotes from a book that I like. Um, Charles Obert uh, talks about the seven traditional planets. And he had a quote. He says, the demiurge, creator or architect god, who... Uh, formed the manifest universe along the patterns revealed from the higher levels through Saturn. So that's kind of interesting. In the uh, celestial sphere model, um, the planets are kind of in these concentric spheres around the Earth, the geocentric cosmos. And they, you know, the distance of each planet, uh, get, as, as they get further away, um, we see different planetary spheres. So Saturn being the planetary sphere that's furthest away, Jupiter being right underneath that. So I thought that was a really interesting way of thinking about this because Jupiter could be the creator architect that is using the template or the, the laws or boundaries or patterns given to it by Saturn. So we've just gone through the sun's um, journey through Aquarius. And a lot of the things that we were experiencing when the sun goes through the Saturn ruled signs is a consolidation, leaving things behind, um, abandoning or exiling the, the known universe, right? And we are figuring out what we are rejecting, what the limits of our experience uh, have become. And once we figured out what we are not and where our limits are, um, what kind of things we want to create from our idealistic journey through Aquarius, then we go, you know, and try to find an animating spirit to that in, in the sign of Pisces. So Jupiter has always been some kind of um, 
order bringer in classical mythology. There are many stories of Zeus and Jupiter being a god that uh, overthrew the old order and brought things into uh, union once again. Like there was many stories of Zeus or Marduk uh, defeating a dragon or defeating his father. So there's succession myths associated with this, where uh, because of the corruption of the father or of the dragon, we needed Jupiter to come along to overthrow that corruption and start bringing peace again to our existence. So uh, some really interesting themes that go along with that with Jupiter. And the sun is bringing a spotlight on, on Jupiter. Even though Jupiter is an aversion to its host, which means that it's not necessarily able to communicate um, the way that it would normally want to, we see an aversion when we see a planet that is either on either sides of a conjunction, right? Like we see here with uh, Aquarius and, and Aries on either side of Pisces or on either side of an opposition. So even though we may want to be moving forward with uh, you know, creation. We may be still having some difficulty doing that during this Pisces season because Jupiter is, is still moving through Aquarius in aversion to its host. Now, eventually we will get Jupiter moving through Pisces, but I don't think that ingress happens during the Pisces sun. I could be wrong. Let's take a look here and, and make sure that we're understanding when that happens because that could make a big difference. Oh, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm checking out my handy dandy honeycomb planner here, which has an ephemeris in the back of it. Um, I don't want to leave the chart I have on the screen for you, but Jupiter will move into Pisces on, oh man, I guess it's not for a little while. I guess it's not till April. Uh, the end of April, we're going to see Jupiter moving into Pisces. So well past the time frame uh, that the sun will be in Pisces. So we're going to have that aversion relationship throughout the entire solar ingress through Pisces. Okay, so what does that mean? It may mean that, that we are trying to get in touch with our creation instincts, but they may feel distant. We may still be really focused on uh, our idealism and, and trying to figure out where the limits of our creation um, are going to be. So the sun will be moving through the terms of Venus from zero to 12 degrees of Pisces. So we do have a benefic bound Lord. So that is, that is nice. That will be a little bit of a, a bonus, I guess. The face rulers are Saturn and Jupiter. Now this is something that will inform our understanding of uh, Pisces one because the card associated with Pisces one is the eight of cups. And in the eight of cups, we see a figure that is leaving eight stacked or eight, eight very well-organized stacked cups uh, and leaving them behind and going off into the distance, into the mountains, into, the, uh, into his mind. He's leaving success behind. This is called abandoned success in book T. Book of Toth calls this indolence um, and I think that the association with Saturn really speaks to some of the themes of this card because we may be experiencing some kind of confusion as we're looking for our new animating purpose and new animating spirit. Uh, anytime we get in the beginning of a sign, 
we get faced with uh, a challenge. And as we move through the different decans, we may come to uh, some kind of, um, you know, more stable position in the middle decan. And then we have a conclusion or the result of those actions in the third decan. So here we're going off in search of meaning. And that's like being exiled. It may be an intentional exile. Remember, Saturn had associations with abandonment, exile, going off into the fringes of society. So this may be where we've, we've achieved something in the material world, but that didn't necessarily bring us the satisfaction that we were looking for. And of course, in many spiritual traditions, that is very common where we don't necessarily, uh, we're not able to achieve all of our goals materially. We have to to, to search for something higher and some greater meaning. Um, that is uh, something that could lead to um, indolence, which is what Book of Toth talks about. And I went and looked this up, so I had a very, uh, uh, a very clear understanding of that word. I like to really get to the core of definitions of things when we have these words come up. And indolence was defined as an inclination to laziness, sloth, daydreaming. Um, it's kind of the opposite of the eight of pentacles, which is the Deccan uh, that is associated with the with Virgo one, right? So we, we have this industrious figure, this apprentice who is laboring at his craft in Virgo one. And the opposite is going off and into our imaginations, perhaps being tired of doing the work and saying, oh, I don't want to do the work. I want to rest. I want to find some meaning. Why am I doing this work? And this is, this is something to really think about as we move towards our full moon, which will be in these two decans, an, opposi an opposition between these two experiences. So we have to be careful during this uh, ingress of the sun not to go off into our imagination to the point where we aren't um, having one foot on the ground, right? The uh, daimon associated with this decan is called Okeanos, which roughly translate to, translates to the ocean. So we can think about uh, the ocean being sort of like a demi-urge, um, a creator, like we have a lot of life that comes from the ocean. We also have a lot of mystery associated with the ocean. We have this surface level we're aware of, and then we have all this these depths beneath it. Um, and one of the things that I think is prominent here is we could be tempted by wanting to go into the ocean and there's all sorts of dangers, but all sorts of wonderful things. I'm thinking specifically of like the sirens in Greek mythology, where we have this beautiful vision that we may be chasing, but behind that vision, there could be some dastardly monster that's waiting to swallow us whole. So I think we have to be careful of that and, we, and careful not to get lost in the search for meaning. Uh, thus the indolence. I wanted to read you something, uh, a passage from this book that I have on the Orphic hymns. When I was looking up stuff about Okeanos, um, there wasn't a ton online, there wasn't a ton of sources with this, and uh, it was sort of limited in the way that it was described in the myths, but I did want to read you the Orphic hymn, which can give us clues to this. So this is a book called the Orphic hymns by Apostolos Anthanasakis and Benjamin Wolkow. And they talk, they, they give their own uh, translation and they give little notes on the deities themselves. So this is number 83 to Okeanos. And these were hymns that were used in the uh, Orphic religion, uh, kind of like when they were doing prayers and, 
and doing um, rituals to these different deities. So I said, they quote, I summon Okeanos, ageless, eternal father, begetter of immortal gods, begetter of mortal men. Your waves, O Okeanos, gird the boundaries of the earth. From you come all the seas, from you come all the rivers. From you come the pure, the flowing waters of earth's springs. Hear me, O blessed God, O highest, O divine purifier, where you end, the earth ends. The pole begins where the ships glide on. Come, grant favor, grant grace to the initiates. Okay, a number of things to unpack with that. Um, because the hexagram that I got for this was uh, was called grace, it was 22, it was interesting. My astrology teacher, Atuta Bhava, recently did a video on Venus and Mars, and he got the same hexagram. So that seems to be something that is a, a theme that is going through our collective uh, unconscious right now. Um, and hopefully I'll have something to add to that, but check out his video for, for some of his interpretations of, of hexagram number 22. But let's think about this. This is a, uh, a deity um, that is associated with water, the primordial waters. It sounds like a, a demiurge, a creator of all the rivers of the earth. And we can think about this as, um, you know, where the sky meets the earth, they thought of this as like an oceanic type of experience as well. The ocean is not necessarily the physical ocean. In some uh, interpretations of myth and of, of sky lore, uh, the sky was a great ocean. And there were different rivers that we saw that were represented by constellations. So this could also be an experience of, of observation of the sky. Um, so, yeah, this is really, really interesting. And in the back of this book, they talk about um, Okeanos being like the source of all watery bodies uh, expressed ge gene genealogically by Hesiod, who reports that Okeanos and Thetis were parents of 3,000 daughters and an equal number of rivers. Um, doesn't make him the father of the salty seas as there are older water deities for this poet to represent them. Uh, example, Pontos. So yeah, I think this comes back to maybe being a, a begetter of some of the, the stars as well and some of the things that we see in the sky. Um, and we can see this when we break down the symbolism of the constellation Pisces as well. And I will go over to our sky chart when we get to that, that point in the show here. Um, so just going back to our tarot card for a minute, we are seeing a search for meaning, leaving behind material success, perhaps due to our dissatisfaction, search for a higher purpose. Um, we're leaving the material world behind for the imagination where creation begins. We want to be rewarded based on our merit and our actions, not necessarily just allowing things to come to us like we would if this was a Venus ruled sign. Um, this is about finding what types of beliefs are going to motivate us to take action during the next cycle, like Aries season, where we want to differentiate and create something new and leave the parent plant behind. Um, here we're merging. We're merging with spirit to create something new uh, that eventually will lead to a differentiation. Um, we've got a Saturn-ruled face, abandoning success, becoming the hermit, going into exile. One thing I wanted to point out, and I will uh, show you how this will work here is 
that in the Thema Mundi, the natal chart of the world, we can see, and I'll move this a few hours just so we put Cancer on the Ascendant. Uh, with the natal chart of the world, we have Cancer on the Ascendant. This was like a mythological chart uh, that gave us a lot of insight into how astrology um, was thought of philosophically in the ancient tradition and how we get a lot of our meaning from the signs and how we get meaning from the planets and their joys and all of these things. So we have the ninth house being represented um, in the Thema Mundi associated with the, the sign Pisces. And one thing I wanted to talk about here was that it is the joy of the sun. So the sun is that search for purpose, that search for meaning, illumination. So that can give us some clues. We also have it being a cadent house. Um, a cadent house was a, a house that, that meant it was falling away from the angle. And in this case, the angle is the 10th house, action out in the world. Um, we have these succeedant houses that are moving into the angle by primary motion. That's the motion of the clockwise motion of the sun. Okay. And here we're moving away from action out in the world and going off in search of some kind of going on a pilgrimage of some sort, the ninth house associated with pilgrimages. Um, we say in modern astrology, long journeys, but it, it isn't necessarily the distance that we think of with the journey. It could be a short journey, but to uh, a church, somewhere where we're finding meaning. So these are any type of journeys that take us outside of our normal routines that help us to connect with with God or with spirit or with some kind of higher purpose. So this could be really the experience we're having with Pisces as we're leaving uh, the, the outside world of action behind so that we can find some sort of meaning. And this, this is interesting too. We think of, we can think of time in a lot of different ways. Um, a lot of the things I've been studying lately, um, my, my good, uh, friend, and I don't know, I don't know him that well, but I really appreciate what he shares. His name is Aaron Cheek. He shared a really nice article uh, on the Taoist perspective on time and how kind of time is just happening. Um, it is kind of a wholeness that is happening concurrently. And our Western linear way of thinking about time is, is not necessarily the way that a Taoist would think about time. Um, they think about things as um, always everything is, has happened or is happening or will happen. And it's all part of this wholeness. So if you think about the actions that we take in the world and these three houses, we have uh, the action itself present, what happens after the action succeeding and what happens before the action cadent. So if you think about like this ninth house, this was the house that was on the 10th house cusp before what is currently on it. So anytime we're going to take an action, we need some sort of animating principle. We need some sort of belief that is guiding us to it. So the ninth house could be associated with the actions that we take before we make something visible out in the world. So it is a place of invisibility. It is a it's a place of going internal. It's a place of hibernation. It's a place of trying to unify the actions that we are going to take with the the belief system that is going to uh, infuse those forms with essence. 
And that's going to be something we'll talk about with hexagram 22, is, which is essence. So here in Pisces, we are searching for the animating principle. We're searching for the essence that's going to lead to a future action. All right. I hope that makes sense. Uh, that because that is a that looking at the theme of Mundi like this, I, I uncovered this kind of um, theory and association with the tarot uh, when I was doing a talk for the Great Lakes Astrology Conference and and making associations with the tarot and the theme of Mundi. And I found some really interesting correlations with those cards and kind of um, how we understand house meanings. And this, this angular triad type of experience is something we see from someone like Robert Schmidt in Pro Project Hindsight. I was first introduced to this concept by my teacher, Achuta Bhavadas. I heard him do a really nice talk at, at the United Astrology Conference in 2018 on angular triads. And that was one of the things that led me to want to study with him. Um, so that's been really changing my understanding of, of houses as well. Okay. So I think we've broken down kind of the, uh, the decanic meanings so far. Uh, I think we've got a pretty good understanding of the tarot card, the Eight of Cups. I did want to give you one more quote associated with this, and this comes from Benabel Wen, uh, her book, Holistic Tarot. She likes to give these uh, kind of quotes for resiliency and quotes for being able to... Uh, understand, um, I don't know, they're like affirmations. So the affirmation for the eight of cups is, I serve a higher spiritual purpose. And that purpose is to guide the masses towards a greater good. Okay, so we're, we're trying to get in touch with that higher animating spirit. And I think one of the benefits of this uh, season that we're heading into is Jupiter is improving its condition in a few months, it's going to be returning home where our animating spirit is going to be, um, we're going to, it's going to be easier for us to get in touch with our animating spirit and our higher self that is more in alignment with our soul than it has been for the last year or so as Jupiter was moving through its fall in Capricorn, where our motivations may have been really mo uh, animated by our material security and our material experience rather than a spiritually motivated one. And that could have led us to some experiences that were um, out of alignment with our inner equilibrium. So I think that we're going to be returning to uh, a nice um, experience where we may be more in alignment with our integrity. And uh, that, that's how we, we create balance through temperance and through you know, balancing out our need for spiritual and physical. Um, so what I want to do is I want to uncover some of these uh, significations of these fixed stars. But before I do that, I'm going to go and just show you real quickly here that uh, on February the 19th, we're going to see a first quarter moon square between the sun and the moon. So this is our first kind of major aspect during uh, the sun moving through Pisces 1. And you can see that that the sun has moved out of this aquarium, aquarium, <laughs> it's moved into the aquarium, <laughs> but out of the Aquarius stellium and into the aquarium. That's funny. Uh, so um, it, it is kind of on its own now. It is hanging out 
is co-present with Neptune. Uh, that was the the modern ruler of Pisces. I, I don't necessarily consider uh, Neptune a ruler. Um, I, I use the outer planets more as like supercharged fixed stars at this point. Um, but it's interesting that we have kind of some repeated themes of like an oceanic experience, like wanting to merge with spirit, maybe themes of sacrificing for our beliefs with these two planets together. We have to be careful of that. We have to figure out what is worth sacrificing for. Um, and we will see sextiles between the sun and uh, Uranus in Taurus, and then eventually the sun and uh, Mars, I think, eventually here. I'm, I'm not sure if Mars moves out of Taurus before that, but we do have a whole sign sextile. Um, so those are the, really the aspects that we're seeing. Uh, the sun is in a whole sign sextile with Pluto too. So we've got a lot of interaction between the sun and these outer planets. But let's take a look at the moon here. Anytime we have a, a square between the sun and the moon, we have this disharmony between the lights. And this is happening today. As I record this, I'm a little late on the trigger again for Pisces sun, but so it goes. Um, creating a lot of videos. I'm doing a lot of content and I want to create quality. So my notes just take, you know, much longer than the videos themselves. And I don't want to do a video like this before I'm properly prepared. So sometimes it comes a day later. So forgive me uh, for that. Um, so when we have this square between the sun in Pisces 1 and the, sun, the moon in Gemini 1, we see a conflict between this eight of cups experience going off into the wilderness in a search for meaning and the eight of swords where we see a figure that is bound um, potentially through an awareness of so many, a proliferation of options. So I'm recording this in the final hours of the, uh, the Taurus moon but once we hit that Gemini moon later this afternoon, we may see an, an explosion of different directions that we could be going in. Um, and that may feel like it will uh, be in conflict with our desire to go off into our minds, to go off into solitude. We may have a lot of things that we are trying to uh, communicate to people of, of various different um, areas of our life. Uh, we could just be distracted by a lot of different things, um, and we have to, to be able to choose where we are going to put our attention to. One of the stories of Gemini is, is basically like one of the twins has to, to die so that the other may live, right? Castor and Pollux, you have to give up some of your time on Mount Olympus so that the other twin can live. So I think that part of the, the key with this first quarter moon is that we have to uh, we don't have to give up all the other imagined paths permanently, but we do have to choose one particular thing to put our attention to so that we don't scatter our energy in a thousand different directions and do things um, hap haphazardly, right? Uh, the, the key with Gemini, I think, is pick one thing, do it to the best of your ability. You, it doesn't have to be a permanent thing, um, but try to be present in the moment. So that, that's what I would recommend during this first quarter moon phase is be present and pick one, one thing to do well and then move on to the next thing. Um, I'm doing that today as I do this video and then I'll move on to, to continuing to prep for my fixed star talk. Uh, so that's what's going on on, on Friday, the February the 19th. Um, I'm going to 
go to our star chart because we are going to take a look at these fixed stars that we're going to be having uh, an awareness of. So here we see the area of the zodiac associated with Pisces 1. Roughly, uh, I'll draw some lines here. It's, it's kind of like here to about here. And it's going to go, if we project it from the ecliptic, it'll go like this direction. So we're looking at all of the kind of the stuff that is in this area. Okay. And what we're looking at is the constellation of Aquarius. Remember that the, uh, the sidereal zodiac and the tropical zodiac are kind of off. And we have these fixed stars in Aquarius that we'll be looking at. One is Sa del Sud, right? That was one, one that was in the third decan of Aquarius. And we have a twin star, Sa, Sa del Milik, which is in the right shoulder. Okay, so they, they are related. Um, we have uh, Sa del Sud being the luckiest of the lucky, and Sa del Milik, where, which we're going to see the sun's conjunction with by a projected ecliptical degree on the 21st through the 22nd at three degrees of Pisces. It's called the lucky one of the king. So this was uh, talking about, Burnett Brady in her, in her wonderful work on fixed stars talks about opportunities of one's own making. Um, it's associated with optimism, with good networking opportunities, with appreciating beauty. This is a theme that we see with these fixed stars that are all in a very similar area of the zodiac, the appreciation of beauty and and of uh, our inner world. Um, but this one was on the right shoulder and generally stars on the right side were thought of as, as even more fortunate. So this is a very fortunate area of the zodiac. Um, we're going to be seeing this conjunction with Saldomilic on the 21st through the 22nd. When we move to the 23rd, Okay, we're seeing this. I'm going to get rid of my thing on here. Um, when we move to the 23rd, we're going to see the sun starting to conjoin a fixed star called Fomahalt. Okay, here's Fomahalt right here. And we can see that the sun is going to be kind of in alignment with Fomahalt after its alignment with Sadomilik. And Fomahalt was part of the constellation uh, called the Southern Fish. This was Pisces Australis. And this was a really important fixed star because it was, it was one of the royal stars of Persia. Uh, they called it the Watcher of the South, which was, it was one of the brightest stars in the sky in this area of the, of the zodiac. And uh, it, it was the marker of the winter solstice in ancient times. So whenever this this star was appearing on the horizon. Oh, we were marking out the winter solstice. And in ancient times, um, it was in alignment with Aquarius, which was one of kind of the tent poles that held this up the stakes of the sky. The fixed signs were sort of these tent poles, um, Aquarius, Taurus, Scorpio, and Leo, that were marking out the, the, um, the solstices and the equinoxes. So these fixed stars were kind of markers for those signs rising and marking out the, the transition of a season. Um, so we can talk about this one being associated with mysticism, with charisma, with kind of a poetic consciousness, 
Uh, Bernadette Brady calls this the wizard star. Um, she talks a lot about these Persian fixed stars, uh, these Persian royal stars being associated with some kind of nemesis to overcome, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, thing we have to be aware of that could lead to a downfall if we're not careful. And in this case, she describes using our charisma or our artistic talents for the glorification of the self versus uh, furthering the interests of our community and of spirit. So we can, you know, use our artistic consciousness, we can use our charisma, um, but we have to do it in service of some kind of higher force or some kind of higher power not in service of selfish motivation. So that's something to really keep in mind as we're moving through um, Pisces 1, is that um, how can you find something that is benefit to the whole? How can you be in service of the divine rather than trying to glorify the self? Because that could lead to a downfall. Um, she talks about John Lennon having some associations with this and him writing something like Imagine right, where he's really just going off and imagining this perfect ideal world. She also talks about Hitler having some, some conjunctions um, by Perans with this, with this fixed star, and he thought he was the hero of his own story, but ultimately it was a selfish motivation. It wasn't necessarily in, in uh, service of the masses. He, in fact, he, you know, became one of the great villains of history. So, we have to be careful that that we aren't using our idealism to hurt people, right? When we get so attached to a belief that we can create destruction, that's when we're off path. So that's when we have to really check in and see, is this really in, in alignment with the Tao or are we going against the current? Are our beliefs true to um, the good that wants to manifest on this material plane? Or is it just motivated by some some evil. And, and that's a hard thing to answer sometimes, because a lot of times we, even the most evil people on that, that do evil acts, um, think that they are the hero of their own story. And, and it's, it can be really challenging to uh, continually check in and say, is this motivated by creating good? Is this motivated? Is, is this creating the most benefit for the most amount of people? Um, but that's an important thing to, to try to stay in alignment with during this period of time. Okay, so the last fixed star that we see a conjunction with over this you know week or so is Deneb LDJ or LDG. I don't know which how you pronounce it, but this is a fixed star in the tail of Cygnus the Swan. And we can see that this one is further off of the ecliptic. Formal Hall, it's pretty close to the ecliptic, um, uh, as is uh, Sadomilic. So those fixed stars may have a little bit more power over these planets, but let's see what we can unpack with Deneb. So this is at about five degrees of Pisces um, by projected ecliptical degree. This was called the Shaman Star. It was associated with the hero's journey, taking action based on your beliefs, um, Cygnus had some significations with the story of Zeus and Leda, where Zeus became the swan and mated with Leda, uh, and through that mating was was hatched the egg that are, she gave birth to the twins Castor and Pollux and also Helen of Troy. Um, so there is uh, some associations with that, the birth of options, right? The birth of like awareness of these oppositions. 
um, there is, if we, if we try to break down the symbolism of the swan, we could also think about this unfolding of beauty where swans start off as these kind of drab creatures and unfold into something beautiful over time. The swan is one of my animal totems. Um, I uh, resonate with it quite a bit. I, I started off my life with kind of a, I don't know, a drab appearance or and a, a drab type of experience. And I, I think that I've, um, you know, unfolded over time and, and had to learn to have faith in the process. That's part of the association with, with the swan. Um, there's also some territorialism with the swan as well. The swans are beautiful creatures, but they are not, um, they're not birds you want to mess with. Uh, I've, I've read that a swan is a, can break, uh, break a person's arm with just a beat of its wings. They're very powerful animals. Um, they are very protective of their young. Um, so that may be something to keep aware of as we move through the 23rd through the 24th is you may be going on a spiritual journey, but be careful that you're not becoming too overly protective of your beliefs or of an area of life that you're trying to cultivate because that could that could lead to some hardship over time. Um, so something to think about with uh, with Deneb Aldij. A-D-I-G-E figure out how to pronounce that. One last thing I wanted to show you before we move away from our star chart is I did want to talk about the constellation Pisces because that does inform some of our significations and some of our understanding of the sign as a whole, even though it doesn't completely match up with our tropical zodiac. Um, in it, we see two fish that are not necessarily swimming in opposite directions as, as a lot of the times we see. One of the, and some of the research I was coming across, we see that this fish, we've got the Eastern and the Western fish. And this, this Eastern fish is swimming, uh, or actually maybe this is the Eastern fish. Well, one of these fish is swimming towards heaven, towards above the ecliptic, right? The other is swimming along the path of the sun or along the ecliptic. And this, is, this speaks to one of the fish being more concerned with the earthly realm, with the world of form, and the other trying to ascend to the heavenly realm. And this is something we can consider with Pisces in general as well, is how can we create balance and how can we tie together? Because these two fish were tied together with a knot. How can we tie together our earthly experience with our spiritual one? And we may feel some conflict between that. This was a dual sign, a dualistic sign where we may feel some challenges trying to stay grounded when we are going off on this spiritual exploration. Um, this is something that I've struggled with uh, over the course of my life, uh, trying to bring spiritual experience down to earth and trying to figure out how to align my belief system with the actions that I'm taking out in the world. It's very, very difficult. I've, I've tend to err on the side of idealism and that has sometimes led to some very, very difficult material experiences in my life. Um, I've sacrificed a lot of material things uh, because I'm stubborn about uh, pursuing idealism and integrity. And to be honest with you, uh, I think that we can go too far in either direction. 
I think that um, like we described in this, this card, indolence is, is a problem. I remember when I was a kid, I was a daydreamer. It was very, very difficult for me to pay attention in school because my mind was very active. Um, I was a very creative young person and things like math that were very linear uh, that I didn't find a lot of meaning in that were very like, uh, I guess, left-brained or rational. I would tend to zone out to the point where I would wake up half an hour later and I, I had just literally been in a different world and I had completely missed what was going on in front of me. And that, that led to some challenges as a young person. And I think that this is something we have to consider. Um, my dad also is a son in Pisces one. And there were some descriptions of, of some people in our experience that uh, if you have this, this uh, solar placement, you, you may not always be going off into your imagination. You may accept uh, the, um, the masses understanding of what you should be doing in life and go, go with the flow. There may be difficulty with boundaries and emotional boundaries. And even though you may be pursuing some kind of material reality during your waking life, there's always something that you're doing to kind of uh, go off into your mind and your imagination. And I remember my dad, my dad worked a very mundane job and still does. He does like logistics for, he used to work for a uh, screw manufacturer. And now he works for like in the airline industry, um, repairing planes. Like he does logistics where they try to repair planes. And it's kind of just your basic kind of uh, white collar desk job. And, but when he comes home, He's, he, he uh, likes to watch science fiction. He, I remember as a, as a child, he was just, he would be watching Star Trek and he'd be watching the sci science fiction movies and science fiction shows and going off into his, his own world. He wasn't a very social person. Um, he would rather go off into his own world. So I've observed this uh, behavior uh, of kind of, even though he may have done something very uh, mundane, in the, the waking hours, uh, he, he, he definitely carved uh, his own time to go off into his own imaginal world. And I think that that's really, that's not an uncommon experience, even if we're not just like, you know, there's probably some Pisces folks out there that manifest being a fairy or a, a mermaid or like a siren, or they, they are very mystical uh, in appearance. But there's also these other Pisceans that, uh, you know, they may look like just normal people, but they're always carving out space for some kind of imagination and escapism too. I think that one of the things we have to be careful of is that we aren't uh, getting so discontented with our physical reality that we, uh, you know, try to escape it through things like substances, through alcohol or through drugs or, or even through fantasy. Um, it can be really easy to get lost in all of these things. And, um, yeah, just so just be careful that you are not uh, trying to find unification with the divine through a method that can have adverse consequences on your material reality. Because one thing that I have learned, um, I, I've never really had uh, too much of a problem with substances or anything like that, substance abuse. I had one experience in high school where I, I 
I drank a little too much at a party and I ended up with alcohol poisoning and ended up in the hospital. And that was a real eye opener for me. I, I'm the type of person where I'm, I'm just so immersed in, um, I don't know, this kind of uh, imaginal realm that I, I have to be really careful with things like substances because I can get really lost really easily. And that, that was an eye-opening experience for me because it had a number of adverse consequences on my life. And, and what I've had to learn is that uh, there are lots of ways to connect. And, and I've connected through my creativity, through my studies of philosophy and spirituality. And those are things that have a lot less adverse consequences for when you're coming back to reality. Because here, here's, the, here's the real kicker. If you pursue things like um, substances, things like getting too lost in video games or fantasy, when you come back to physical reality, you will have to deal more with the mundane things that have piled up over time, like, like maybe a, a body that has started to break down. You'll have to deal with not having paid your bills or not having cleaned your house and physical reality will come to you with the force of a tidal wave. So again, the key is balance. It doesn't mean that we don't lose touch with our spirit, but, but when we take care of things on the physical realm and we, we try to pursue our spirituality in a way that's not going to be um, detrimental to our body, to our community, to our friends and family, we won't have to reckon with consequences of that action as much. And that's something that, that I really believe in wholeheartedly. And this is hard. This is hard for people. I know that people struggle with this, uh, especially if they have addiction in their family or, um, you know, we can think of addiction as a disease as well. It's not the easiest thing to, to work with. But I think that a lot of uh, the things that we may be trying to escape from is, is really this dissatisfaction with our current reality. And a lot of the things that we can do to alleviate that is to learn the lesson of acceptance, to learn the lesson of balance, to learn the lesson of connecting in these creative ways. I know that a book that I really like, The Artist's Way, was written by someone who was in recovery. And she used uh, creativity to, to help her through uh, her, her alcoholic recovery. So there, there's, there's, there's ways. And if you're going through something like that, especially in these very difficult times where our reality is not, not how we want it to be, um, I, I feel compassion for you, and I hope that you're able to find those things that will help you to connect with your spirit in, in a way that won't leave your material reality broken. Uh, okay, so that's what I've got for the, the star chart here. So I'm going to go back to the, uh, the other chart. And um, we'll take a look at the, the next aspect that we have. So on the 25th, I'm going to go forward here. On February the 25th, we do see a, a sextile between the sun and Uranus. So a sextile is a harmonious aspect. So a lot of the changes that we've been trying to make on the material world, um, we may find some fuel. For that we may find something that is helping to animate those changes we may find that our new spiritual purpose is allowing us to do things in a new way in a new promethean type way where we're trying to break down the old structures and and bring something uh new into existence 
So this may be a time where we're finally starting to, to have some, uh, you know, something that is supportive of the new things that we're doing. We had all these planets in Aquarius, excuse me, that were in squared to Uranus and Mars that were, it was, there was a lot of tension. There was a lot of friction. And I think that we're kind of getting clear on what our, our values are and what, how we want to rearrange our, our uh, communities, how we want to rearrange our, the ideals that we are using to move forward in our life. And we, we can see something that's probably uh, a little bit easier around this period of time. This is going to lead us to our full moon uh, at eight degrees of Pisces and, and Virgo, respectively. This is happening, um, and I will go to this exactly. Uh, this is happening on Saturday, the 27th. And let's see our full moon. I think that's it. You got it? Nope. Previous full moon. There it is. Okay, so we are at eight degrees of Virgo. And remember, this harkens back to that uh, that eight of pentacles, where we see uh, a person laboring at their craft, an apprentice learning the skills necessary to bring something into form. So this may be a moment where we are really trying to figure out how to bring that spiritual vision into form. And I will do a live stream on this on maybe the 27th or around that period of time uh, so that we can talk about this as a community. But remember, oppositions are of the nature of Saturn. So we're going to try to hold the duality of this. We don't have to solve it necessarily, but we do have to, to uh, try to, to strive, I think, for balance or try to accept that, that we will have to balance out these two things. Um, so around that period of time, you know, Venus will be there with the sun as well, trying to lend her assistance to that process. Um, we are still going to be seeing Mars moving through the last degrees of Taurus. Um, but, but yeah, this will be a period of time where we might see the vision start to take form. And uh, we are trying to work through all of our different options, but we may have to, to refine our presentation because we can imagine a lot more than we can manifest in the physical realm. That's one of the things that I've had to learn is that my, whenever I get an idea, um, it always becomes big in my mind. I, I, you know, when I was making an album, I couldn't just make a four song album. I was like, I have to make an entire rock opera. That was my first experience with trying to make an album is I, I need to make a 12 song rock opera with stories in between. It has to be this big, uh, Beatles-esque production, you know, and um, the physical reality was that it was very hard to manifest that, especially the first time doing something. And I, I failed the first time I tried to make an album. I didn't finish it. I was a little too bit, a little bit too ambitious. And the second time around, I pared it way down to something that I was like, okay, I'm going to do four songs. I'm going to make sure that I do those to the best of my ability. And I'm going to make sure I finish something. So this may be our experience at the full moon where we're really trying to figure out what stays and what goes, what is possible, and how can we bring as much of our spirituality into the physical form that we have, um, but what can we let go of? What is unrealistic? So th that's probably the tension that we're going to be experiencing at the, at the full moon on the 27th. Now, I've got one last thing here for you. I, like I said, we do a, a, a hexagram now. Um, and this is something that uh, my teacher and I 
tend to also do. Uh, my teacher Chutubhava likes to use the uh, the I Ching, the I Ching as well. It's a great oracle. It's something that I've been working with for a number of years. Uh, it really is, I think, one of my favorite oracles. And there are a number of different translations out there. You can spend a lifetime studying this and, and getting uh, information. And like I said in the beginning of the show, uh, this hexagram seems to be uh, coming up in the zeitgeist, 22. I got 22 uh, grace or beauty changing to 24, which is returning. So let's break this down. So a couple different words for this number 22 hexagram, beauty, grace, essence, adornment. Um, the translation from Hillary Barrett asks these questions. How can you make essence visible to others? What do you choose to communicate? She says, quote, a noble one brings light to the many standards, but does not venture to pass judgment. Okay. Uh, it says, from many forms, there are many forms that inner, inner essence can take on. We need to have acceptance uh, to be able to receive. Okay, so this is um, talking about, I think this is really the theme of our full moon here, is how are we going to bring essence out into material form? How are we going to show beauty out into the world? Um, how are we going to adorn our physical form without getting lost in the adornments themselves? You know, Venus is exalted here in Pisces, and she is uh, very much concerned with adornment and receiving the good things and creating beauty. Um, but we have to make sure that we are staying true to the spiritual essence and not getting lost in the form itself. So that's, that's another thing to keep in mind. Now we have line three, a changing line. It says, beautiful as if dipped in water, ever flowing constancy brings good fortune. So this is talking about remaining true to our integrity, not getting swept away in our imaginings. In one translation, it literally says avoiding indolence. So I thought that was interesting. Um, we, we're trying not to dissolve into the experience itself. We do have the sun co-present with Neptune, which is a, a planet that is associated with uh, maybe a desire to dissolve into universal consciousness. So we can't, we can't lose our sense of, of individual, individuality and self as we are going on this journey. Yes, we want to connect with a spiritual consciousness, but we have to kind of keep one foot on the ground, especially when we're still physical beings, when we're still inhabiting these bodies. We can't, we can't neglect these bodies. And this is something that I've really um, had to embrace over time is that uh, it isn't, um, this is something that my partner tries to teach me is that the body is not evil. And I think that this is something that we really, you know, uh, encounter a lot in spiritual practices. We don't want to be slaves to the body, but I think that it's okay to embrace um, being incarnated. If we resist being incarnated, I think that we're missing out on some things. And um, again, this is like paying attention to the, the small little everyday actions that you have to take to, to create a, a spiritual life. And sometimes that involves cleaning your house. Sometimes that involves paying your bills. Sometimes that involves appreciating a sunset. You know, there, there's a reason why we're here. And I think that, again, balance is the key. 
Line number six says, white beauty, no mistake. So it talks about releasing adornments. Your inner beauty is enough. Simplicity is the key to this changing line. Okay, so this is really about, you don't have to, uh, when you're making an offering to the world, it doesn't have to be this great, huge, uh, you know, I don't know, fancy thing. A lot of the times, if you're coming from your true self, if you're coming for your, from your integrity, you're getting in touch with your true essence, um, making a small offering can be enough. Making something that is not necessarily every single part of your dream or your vision, but but the best you can do at that moment can help you to, to make uh, the essence of something visible. So as you're moving through this time period, try not to get too lost in doing too much. Don't get too attached to the perfection. Remember, it's it, the, the very essence of being incarnated in form is that there's imperfection. Sometimes there's beauty in that imperfection, right? And you know, as the, the Tao is telling us in this, this hexagram, uh, creation doesn't judge, right? Creation just says everything is, is part of the, the wholeness. Good, evil, uh, dark, light, uh, night, day, uh, birth, death. It's all part of one experience. And who are we to make judgment on that? Okay, so th this is one of the themes too, I think, with Pisces is kind of accepting the universality of things and accepting that we don't always have to make judgments on stuff. We, we can be accepting. doesn't mean we allow ourselves to be abused or things like that. That's, and that we don't have healthy boundaries, but um, we've moved from a period of boundaries to one where we're seeking to bring things back together again. Now, hexagram 24 uh, asks, what is beginning to germinate? Where does the path lead now? Now, this was associated with winter hibernation, with the preparation for spring. When you're returning, they, they talked about the gates being closed at winter and going into an internal experience. So that really reflects our, our internal journey in, in the sign of Pisces. Um, this is really a preparatory phase uh, for the, the flowering that we're going to see during the springtime phase. I think that one of the things with astrology that I, I really resonate with is becoming in alignment with the seasons. Uh, there is a time for reflection. There is a time for hibernation. And then there is a time for bringing things into the light of day. This Piscean time is a time for, for inner journey, meditation, finding your purpose that is going to lead you to the actions of spring and lead you to uh, differentiation that you can really believe in, right? Identity that you can believe in at that Mars-ruled, separation from the whole to become an individual at the uh, flowering of spring. All right, everyone. I think that's what I have for you today. I hope that you are doing well. And uh, thank you for hanging out with me. Um, I appreciate all of you. Remember that I will be doing a live stream around the full moon. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I'll make an announcement closer to the time of when exactly that will be. Again, if you want to sign up for my fixed star uh, workshop that I'm doing, webinar, th that is going to be happening this Sunday, uh, February the 21st at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, and it's uh, by donation. So if you want to make a donation, you can make a donation to my Venmo or PayPal me, or you can just show up and, and hang out. Um, there is a Zoom link that I will, I, will, I will put in the description of this video, and I hope to see you all there. 
Um, if you want to make a material donation to what I do, there is a Venmo or a PayPal me link as well. Um, one thing you can do that really helps me out is, is hit that like button. That really helps me to, to, to be more visible in the algorithm and to reach more people. Uh, share these videos with your friends. Make sure that you're subscribed to the channel uh, and hit the notification uh, bell so that you know when a new video is posted. And as always, tell me your story. Leave a comment in the comments section and let me know how you are experiencing this inner journey and how are you connecting with Source and how are you planning to bring that to the light of day. All right, everyone, be kind to one another, be kind to yourself, and I will see you the next time. Peace.